Scripture, let me ask you please uh, to pray with me. Father in heaven, we're grateful for your word and trust that uh, you'll work through it on this morning uh, to bring your blessing to us. We pray that your grace would come to us. This word is a means, a, an instrument, a conduit, a way for your grace uh, to come to us. So we pray that on this morning it would and that we would know it and leave this place rejoicing in you. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I turn please to James again as we've been working our way through the book of James. James chapter 5. I want to read these final verses beginning with verse 13. And as we did last Sunday, you'll notice that our response to the reading of the word is to say together, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. James chapter 5 and verse 13, please. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. And therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it didn't rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruits. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And together, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Indeed, it does. Um, as we come to the end of uh, this letter, I, I, I have a few more from this. We're not quite done yet. It's going to be a bit of a slowdown as we, as we work our way through these final uh, verses. Um, Today, I just want to take up verses 14 and 15, really, um, and we'll come to that in a moment. But the but, but, but theme here uh, in these latter verses is really prayer. We find the word prayer mentioned seven times in these, in these latter verses, and so we, we get it. We get that James is talking to us about our praying, and we're to pray in various circumstances, whether we're suffering or whether we're sick, uh, whether we're... Uh, happy or whether we're sad, whether time is difficult or, or time is easy, we see. And we're to pray variously, various ones are to pray. Personally, we're to pray. If any of you are suffering, pray. Uh, cheerful, give thanks or praise. And so pray personally. Uh, elders are to pray uh, for us on various occasions. We're to pray for one another. Um, and so we, we get it. We get that we're to pray in various circumstances. Why? Because we realize we live in this conscious communion with God. And so our lives, as we remember from last Sunday, to be angled in such a way that whatever comes to us is deflected to God. Always, whether it's suffering or whether it's something that brings joy or to always be mindful 
of God. So if we're in difficulty, we pray, ask for his help. If something good comes, we pray to give him thanks uh, for what's come to us. Always in this conscious communion, recognition that we're in the very presence of God. Now, this particular uh, couple of verses I want to take up uh, with you, rather providentially in my own circumstance. Is anyone among you sick? Let him come for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name uh, of the Lord. Now, now when, we, when I read those verses, I, I think, you know, I understand what we're to do. And I understand the whole concept in the broad sense of it. Someone is sick, uh, they're to call for the elders of the church, and the elders of the church are to come and anoint them with oil and pray over them. That, that makes sense to us. We do that. We'll talk about that in a minute, how we do that. We do that as a church uh, when called, our elders do. And, and so in, in this broad sense, we, we get it. But, but, but James never really explains himself. You see, he doesn't really give us all the details. And we're not quite sure why. It could just be a style. It could be that it's out of paper. It could be that um, they know him so well, he knows them so well, that he's spoken to them on so many occasions about these things. And now he's just applying, just just giving them to, it made sense to them, probably not only in the broad stroke, but in the details <clears throat> as well. We know that these to whom he writes are likely to be those who have fled Jerusalem because of persecution and thus likely to have known James in his capacity as the elder, really, of the church in Jerusalem. No doubt there were pockets, local churches, as we'd call them in Jerusalem, but they would have known James well from his ministry there. And so when he writes them, it, it makes sense that he could be quite pithy, he could be quite, quite direct and even short in his statements. Rather proverbial, we might say, because he's writing to them the very wisdom of God. And so here he is uh, in the midst of all of this writing to them. And, and so we get it in the broad stroke. But we wonder how sick does one have to be in order to call for the elders of the church? I mean, you get the flu, you get a cold. Should you call for the elders of the church? Uh, or is, is this a, a, something else? You see, is this, is this more dire than that? Is this something chronic? Is this something that, 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 that really you think Whatever it is that the medicines of the day and the remedies of the day can't really deal with, is that the kind of sickness that uh, that we're to to call for the elders of the church? Um, and 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 what is this a prayer of faith that will save one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up? What what's what's really uh, the details there? Is that a special kind of prayer? Was it the normal kind of prayer that elders pray, that Christians pray, trusting in God that he's good and wise and powerful, sovereign over the situation? What is, what is that really? Um, and, and does this mean that James is so direct and his, his promise that he gives is so unqualified that the prayer of faith will raise him up? Does this mean that God's intention uh, when we're sick is to always be healed? That's the case, who would ever die? Um, and, and we even know, uh, as we read through the scripture, there are cases where um, sickness happens and God has a different intention for it than healing it. Paul's own situation where he had a thorn in the flesh and he prayed three times, however many times that refers to, three times, that God would remove it and God said, no, 
My grace is sufficient. My power is perfected in your weakness. And so Paul said, then I'll glory in my weakness. And so we assume then that Paul carried this thorn with him. Now, there was a dear friend of Paul's named Trophimus, uh, who was in Miletus. And Paul writes to the church and uh, Paul writes to Timothy. And he says, I, I had to leave him sick. And you think, come on, Paul, anoint him with oil. Pray for him. Raise him up. Why would you leave him sick? Poor guy. Don't you know the Bible? Um, and, uh, uh, and, and so we, we get that. We see that. And so we wonder. And then even by way of experience, I, our church practices this. Um, churches I know practice this. And I say, everybody who's he, who you pray for, are they healed? And the answer is no. James doesn't give us any time frame even. He doesn't say, well, in a week or instantaneously or however you get the sense that they're just going to be healed at the moment the way Jesus did it and the apostles at times. And so so we, we understand uh, uh, that. And why does he tie in sin and sickness? See, he, he says if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. We know that there isn't a direct correspondence in a person's life generally to a specific sin and sickness. We realize that through Job, of course, as we read the book of Job. We also see it in the life of Jesus when he came upon in John chapter 9. We have it that there was a man who had been born blind. And the question that everyone asked was who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither, really. This happens for the glory of God. And so we realize it then as well. Even in Paul's own life, his thorn in the flesh was not the result of a sin, but to keep him from it, <laughs> from his pride. And so, so we wonder then, um, why is there that connection here? And, and you'll notice too that James uses words that are not simply associated with sickness, but also our salvation. For instance, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up, you see. And, and even this word for prayer in verse 15 is, is, is a different one uh, than, um, than the word in verse 14. Verse 14 says, let them pray. That's the common word for prayer in the New Testament. And then in verse 15 um, it's a different one that's this, this really urgent kind of prayer. And even the, the expression that James uses for the word sick is one that can also mean just simply weakness, weakness mentally or, or, or spiritually. And so is this a spiritual thing or is this a physical thing? All right, now you, you felt my pain. That's what I felt on Tuesday, all right, as I came to this text and began to read and try to think it Think it through. And, and to be honest with you, I don't have all of these figured out yet. I'm in good company. Neither do most of the people I read throughout the week. I have it all figured out. I'm just going to try to be honest with you. Kind of lay out how we can understand this and how we as a church uh, practice it. So I, I want to just begin with what seems clear and, and kind of walk us through, like, who's involved in all of this? And we see first that the church is involved, elders are involved, and there's a sick person involved. Okay, we get that. There's a church involved, a, a local church. Call for the elders of the church. 
And so James is assuming, in fact, it would be unthinkable for him to be anything else true. James is assuming that this, the sick people are a part of the church. James would not understand someone who claims to be a believer in Jesus, who's not directly affiliated with, associated with, we call it membership, affiliated, associated with a particular church, an identifiable group of people who are believers in Jesus, and you know yourself to be a part of that, and they know that you're a part of that as well. There's a church. Remember these people scattered, no doubt, all over the place from Jerusalem, not just in one place, but in lots of different places. James calls them kind of uh, metaphorically, uh, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, figuratively. He says, he says, you understand what that means, just like the Israelites were dispersed, you've been dispersed. And when they were dispersed, they, they landed in various places and they joined together. And so they would be part of an assembly. In fact, the word church in the New Testament, in Greek, uh, ekklesia, uh, means the called out ones, Ek adam, kaleo means to call, so called out ones in that little word. But we can't stop there because always, whether it's Old Testament understanding of church or New Testament understanding of church, there's a sense of, yes, we've been called out of the world, but not to be isolated. We're called out of the world into an assembly or a gathering or a corporate, a group of us, you see. And so Christians are never to be alone. We're always to be in relationship with other believers. That's part of what it means to be created in the image of God. See, one of the things we we, we get from this sense of God as Trinity, one being three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is that for all of eternity, God is a community. That's who he is. In fact, the the Puritans would refer to God as a happy society in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There was this communion for all eternity. He didn't create us because he was lonely. He created us because that's who he is. He's a creator who creates this image of himself, this community. And so church, you see, as human beings in the image of God, when he redeems us, he puts us in to this assembly, this gathering, this group of people. And and, and, and we see that throughout the history of believers that there are churches, local ones, People come together, band together. That's our instinct and should be. And so for James, he's thinking, if you're sick, then call for the elders of the church. And I can say that, James would say, because you're in a church, right? Because you're a believer. And and, and it isn't just, uh, you know, just you. It's, it's others. And, and they know that you're a part of them. Somehow that's became known. And you know that you're a part of that assembly, that Fellowship, that community of believers, because somehow you've made that known to them. Wouldn't be a surprise when elders got a call from this sick person. They would say, oh yeah, they wouldn't do that. Uh, We wouldn't do that anymore. 
Uh, we'd do that or whatever we do. I don't know how we do this anymore. But anyway, uh, when they were informed in some way that this person was sick and needed them to come and pray, they'd say, oh, yes, of course. That's, we know them, right? They know us. And, and so there is this thing. Now, now, again, just we call that membership. That's what it's historically been called. But all that really means All that really means, all membership in a local church means is that the elders of the church know that you're a professing believer in Jesus and you desire their shepherding. You desire to be a part of that community known so that they can, these elders can, shepherd you. And you're admitting that this is the way God has arranged things. See, God has arranged life for us in various ways. He's, he's arranged for us, ideally, to be in family, right? To be in family. And in family, there's a structure, there's an arrangement. We would call that an ordination. There's an arrangement. We're arranged, you see, in particular ways. Mom, dad, kids. And there's relationships that are defined and described in that. How husbands and wives are to relate, how kids are to relate to parents, and parents are to relate to kids. We get that structure. There's a structure in civil society in, in a civic kind of way. That's why we're called to be submissive to those in authority over us in, in a government kind of structure, because that's the way God has structured that sphere to oversee and to, and to provide certain benefits for us. And he's given us church as believers, you see. And church has a structure, a way that God has arranged for people to be in relationship with each other. And so he's given to the church elders to oversee the life and ministry of the church. And so in that sense, again, James wouldn't know a believer who wasn't part of, I won't use the word member because I know it drives some crazy, but affiliated with known affiliation, a confessed affiliation with the church. And again, in our setting, all that means is a person comes to us and a couple of our elders sit with you and say, do you believe in Jesus? (laughs) When did you first know and how did you know that you're a sinner, are you? And you say, yes, and here's how I know that. Uh, When did you first know of Jesus and, and how do you understand him and How does he save? Well, by grace, through faith. The details of that, probably. Well, tell me about your life. Do you desire to live it in a way that's honoring to Christ? Say yes. Would you understand that in the context of church life, God has arranged for elders? Do you promise to be in submission, not blind submission? Not absolute submission? and, 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 And serve in this body. To be served by us and to serve others. You go, yep, we're good, right? No other hoops. Everything else is growing together and living life together. And, and, And what that does, you see, is it frees you to call for the elders of the church. You've already told them, hey, I'm here. I want you to shepherd me. And it frees the elders then to, to go because they go, all right, that's good. See, that, that's, that's all that is. It's not more complicated than that. And churches have made it more complicated than that. We try not to complicate anything because I, I can't do complication. Um, we try to keep it 
simple and the main things the main things and that's the main thing about that and so clearly that was taking place so 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 james wouldn't know a believer who hadn't done that and james wouldn't know a church that didn't have elders it's a bit self-serving since the word for elder in the new testament is presbyteros which is a familiar ring to it but nonetheless he would know that when he gave that instruction that that sick person would know that there are elders whom God has arranged, ordained, to pray for people like me. And that I have the freedom to call them, because here it is. the freedom, And they have the freedom to come, because I've already given them permission, and I've already identified myself as one who comes to be shepherded by them. You see, that's what elders are to do in the life of a church. Elders are to shepherd the people of God. And it's always been true, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament. As you're reading through the Old Testament, you'll come across a phrase called the elders of Israel. Who were they? They were to be the wise ones. Um, it, it actually means, and I'm finally entered into this phase of my eldership, the gray-headed ones, right? <laughs> Meaning to be the wise ones. It doesn't mean you have to be old, uh, though you can be. Uh, it means that you are to have a, a sense of wisdom about you, whether you're young or whether you're old, you see. And so you're, you're to the elders of Israel, and they would gather and make decisions to lead the people in various kinds of ways, in addition to the kings and the prophets and all of that. So in the New Testament, it's no surprise to us that when churches were being formed, that elders were um, appointed, ordained is the word that we use, because that's the right word, that's how it's ordered. And so... These elders are ordained. So we read as early in Acts 14 as Paul's on his missionary journey, first one, and he establishes churches. And this is kind of a summary statement in verse 23 of Acts 14. And um, when they had uh, appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them uh, to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so you see in every church, so we get this sense of local gatherings of churches, not just one church in Ephesus or wherever. There are probably pockets of believers and they gathered together in convenient places. And after a while, things got more convenient when they stopped shooting at us. Uh, then we could gather in bigger groups in more public ways. And so we've done that historically. But sometimes we have to pull back from the public Meeting like that, as various underground churches in various countries, even today. We may someday have to say goodbye to this beautiful space. And may have to gather in different spaces. Uh, safer spaces, perhaps. I don't know. But we have the luxury of gathering in a nice space publicly. But not all believers throughout history have had that. But that's the sense of it, these elders. So, so again, no surprise to us. So I don't care if you're Presbyterian or Baptist or Methodist or whatever. You should have, whether you call them this or not, you should call them this. Um, you should have elders in the church to oversee the life and ministry and, and to shepherd. And it's a very important thing. Peter puts it like this in First Peter in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, see, Peter knew himself simply as a fellow elder, not the chief elder, not the infallible elder, uh, but just an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God 
that is among you, exercising oversight. In other words, look over them. That's, that's what shepherds do. They watch. Shepherds watch and they anticipate. They watch for enemies, wolves, and they anticipate them and they think it through when they're leading the sheep. Where are the wolves, you see? And then when they see a sheep hurt, then they go to that sheep or maybe that sheep calls out and they hear that sheep. You see, that's the sense of it. That's the metaphor. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your church, but being examples to the flock. You see, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's not a pride thing. It's not a prestigious thing. It's, it's, it's a humbling thing. It's a thing of service to come. And you don't do it because you get anything is great gain from it. It's not profitable in that sense. Um, and when the chief shepherd comes, ah, the, now the chief shepherd is, of course, uh, Jesus. See? In fact, if you read some of the older writings, uh, older pastors, sometimes they just refer to the chief. That's kind of an endearing expression. Oh, the chief. Meaning the chief shepherd. When he appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of, of glory. And so, so we're always, elders are, always in submission to the chief shepherd. So no surprise when Paul is writing to a couple of church planters, a couple of those who organize churches, Timothy and Titus. He tells them, well, here's how you arrange things in the church. You appoint elders. And, and here's who those elders are to be. And there's lists of qualifications in First Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. Lists of qualifications of elders. And they're essentially, we would call, spiritual qualifications. They're not, they're, they're not the kinds of things that uh, the world would look to for necessarily leaders, although the world should. This would be way wiser than we normally choose our leaders. But these are people who are holy or living holy lives. These are people who have proven themselves to be truth-tellers, people who have proven themselves to be faithful to their spouses. These have proven themselves to be able to manage their household well. These are, these are men who have proven themselves in the eyes of others, so they, 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 they're above reproach that nobody can bring a case against them, you see. Um, they're to be able to teach, which means they really know the Scripture whether they can teach in an upfront kind of way or just teach in a more informal kind of setting. The, the point is that they really know the scripture because you see, the, the, the chief wolf is false teaching in the life of the church. That's what leads us, you see, astray. In fact, when Paul was writing, or I'm sorry, when Paul was talking to a group of elders from Ephesus, and we have this recorded in Acts in chapter 20, um, Paul lays it out like this. He's talking to these elders, and, and you want to feel this. Paul thinks, might well be true, thinks that this is the last time he's ever going to see these men again. So this is, this is, it has that kind of a, of a thing to it. And you realize that it's kind of towards the end of Acts, and so the end of Paul's journeys, and he's, he's coming in, in, to the latter part of his life. He's planted a bunch of churches. He knows these people in Ephesus. He, he, he suffered there, riots there because of him. And, and so now he's, he's meeting with these elders, and he says this to them, Therefore, 
I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So he says, pay careful attention to yourselves. That's an interesting thing to say. I was expecting him to say, watch the flock, but he says, no, pay careful attention to yourself. Why? Because you need to lead this group of people. People are going to look to you. People are going to call you to pray for them when they're sick. And you need to have faith as you come to pray for them. And and you need to be willing to come to pray for them, not with a chip on your shoulder. Oh, rats, I I wanted to watch the game tonight. But but, but it's to go to them, you see, and, and, and want to. And receive those calls and say, oh, yes, good, I get to do this. I get to care for you. So watch yourself. Watch your own life and doctrine. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Right? That that isn't heavy. Say, here's, here's your charge, elders. I want you to care for this flock. The Holy Spirit has called you and Christ has bought them with his blood. They're his. He's given them to you to steward, to shepherd. Then he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men. Wow, that's scary, isn't it? And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. To draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I didn't cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And so you see, for these elders, the the, the charge is to shepherd the church, to guard it from wolves. And then that statement that just sends chills up my spine and should yours, that from among you will become those who will try to deceive. And so even among you, so watch yourselves. Because you see, what we have is this deposit. He writes to Timothy. We have this deposit, this truth. And elders, it's your responsibility, you see, to make sure that that truth is maintained in the life of those whom you shepherd. So, so when James writes to the sick person, <laughs> he says, now, you, you're a part of a church. He, he wouldn't be able to think otherwise. And they're elders. So call them so they can come and and anoint you, you see, uh, with oil so that the prayer of faith in the name of the Lord will raise you, will raise you up. So, so the church is involved, the elders are involved. Well, there's a sick person involved too. Uh, and, and then there is this question, and I don't know the answer to it exactly, is how sick is sick? Right? I, I don't know. But err on the side of calling. Err on the side of calling. Um, if I could tell you this story, I've told it to you before. When I was in seminary, Karen and I were in Massachusetts, near Boston. 
And so we were living in married student housing. Married student housing in, on a seminary campus is often like one big house. <laughs> Nobody locks their doors particularly. And kids, if they're children, they just sort of go from apartment to apartment as if it's part of their own house. And so the kids in our uh, married student housing ghetto uh, <laughs> um, uh, just sort of roamed a bit. And um, at that time time of this story, um, our children were three and five and a twinkle in our eye, <laughs> the third one. But um, um, Joshua, my, our son, was about five years old. We had gone to Massachusetts when he was three. Keep that in your mind. So Karen and I were in uh, another room, that, one of the bedrooms, and there was a knock on the door and the door opened. Joshua must have opened it. We didn't know that, but the door opened. But again, that was a no big deal. And I heard Josh talking to someone, so I figured it was a deeper voice than a kid, so I figured it was an adult, probably one of the other students or somebody coming to ask me a question or to invite me to something or whatever. And so, but I was busy with something else. And so a couple of minutes later, Joshua came in the, in the room and he said, hey, dad, there's a man here to see you. And I said, who is it? He said, it's one of the men who used to pray for me. And I went out, and there was a man named Knox Shearer. Knox was in our church in South Carolina, the church that sent us to seminary. And when Josh was little, he had a series of ear infections that just simply wouldn't go away. We did all the doctoring and all of that. And it was just painful, you know, ear infections, little kids. But it was just so chronic, and we were at our wits' end that we called for the elders of the church. And this man and two others came and prayed for him. That happened when he was three years old. When he was five, he still remembered that man. Now, Josh is a little weird. He remembers all kinds of things when he was little. And it's, it's, it's incredibly frustrating. <clears throat> But you see the impact on a little kid. He has always had in his mind that elders pray when you're sick, you see. And, and, and so it's, it's that kind of thing. So sick person is to call for the elder of the church. How sick is sick? I don't know. It gives the impression here that the person's too sick to go to the elders. Now that's different now because it's easier for us to get around, Right? So, so this person was probably in bed, probably couldn't go to the, to the elders, so they had to pray over him and he was raised up. You get that kind of language. So it's more than just, oh, I got a cold or I got the flu. It, it, it's more than that, but it, 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 it's less than you're dead, right? It's before then sometime. So sometime before, like this is outside the realm of what I typically have and I'm dead. Call for the elders of the church and, and they, if, if you wish, if that's your thing. If you don't want to, then don't, but... but you know, it could be, he goes on to say, pray for each other. So you can call your friends to pray for you. You pray for yourself, whatever. But, but there may come a time when you're at a situation, you go, I got to call for the elders of the church. And they're to come. So, so the sick person's involved. How sick? It's up to you. The elders will never say no. Um, uh, so call for the elders of the church, you see. Uh, and, but, but what is the sickness? Is it simply a weakness? Because it can mean that. And what is this with, with the prayer of faith will save you? Is, is, this, is this a salvation issue or raise you up? 
Well, no, everyone pretty much agrees that it's a real sickness, a physical sickness. And the weakness, the reason he uses a word that can mean weakness for sickness here, is because the sickness has made you weak, so you can't call for the ill. You can't go to them. They have, you have to call for them. And, 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 and the word save in this situation, while it can often mean and does in the book of James, our spiritual salvation, is used in the Gospels all the time for someone being physically healed. And that they were healed, they were saved, if you will, from that, from that illness. So, 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 so none of that uh, precludes us from thinking this is a, a real, a real sickness, you see, uh, in this, in this sense. But you wonder, is this the only time elders can pray, James, for people? And you go, no, 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 no. Elders should pray for people all the time. And you can come after, I look over here because that's where I tell you to go. Uh, after the service to come and have elders pray for you. Why? Because they're shepherds. The chief shepherd prays for us, intercedes for us all the time. So surely the shepherds with skin on can pray uh, for us all the time as well. And so he's just dealing with one situation. This isn't an exhaustive thing about when the elders, when the elders, uh, when the elders pray. So what about the oil? A couple of details, then we'll wrap this up. What about the oil? Um, why that? Do the elders always have to use oil? Obviously not. Um, because again, the key ingredient in all of this isn't the oil. So what is it? Is it, is it medicinal? Some over the centuries have held that, that, that this is just a medicinal thing, that the elders should come and, and they should apply oil as medicine. You might remember Jesus telling the parable of the Good Samaritan. When the man was beaten, it said that the Samaritan came and poured oil and wine in his wounds. Now, that wasn't a prescription of Jesus on how to help people who've been beaten, uh, but the people of the day would have understood it. Oh, yeah, that makes sense somehow in ways we may not understand. And maybe they understood wine had some sort of cleansing and oil could soften. I, I, I don't know. And so some have held that what we should do when we're sick is take medicine, that is, go to the doctor, and have the elders pray for us. That's, that's great advice. I mean, when the elders pray for you, they'll never tell you to stop taking your medicine. When the elders pray for you, they'll never tell you, unless it's just like written on the wall, uh, uh, they'll never tell you not to go to the doctor, not to have the surgery or any of that. Um, so that's good advice. I just don't think that's what James is talking about here. But, but please, go to the doctor and pray. Uh, always good to do. So what was James mean about the about the oil here. Well, probably it's symbolic. In the Old Testament, when oil was applied, someone was being set apart for something special. Prophets, priests, kings, you can read about it, various passages of, of the scripture. So, so you have it. And, and so here, the oil, no doubt, stands that you're being set apart for this prayer in the presence of God. Who heals? So that's the sense, I think, best sense of, of oil. I, I read this morning uh, earlier from Mark and uh, chapter 6 uh, where uh, the uh, disciples of Jesus went about healing and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So they would have understood that. Okay, it's symbolic of all of this. No power in the oil. It's not magic. If you don't use it... Uh, Probably haven't lost anything as long as you're aware, you're conscious that we're in the presence of God. Our elders use oil. It's uh, 
doesn't have any cholesterol in it. It's, uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it won't hurt you. It's just, so we don't pour the whole bottle on your head. I remember one time going into a hospital to pray for a friend who had a, had had a heart attack and I didn't have any oil. So on the way to the hospital, I stopped at a convenience store. I, all I could buy was a quart. So I'm walking in the hospital with this oil in my pocket, this whole quart of oil, trying to hide it from people. And I get in there, I undo it, and the person almost died then, thinking, you're gonna, what are you going to do with that? Just a little bit, you know, just kind of, kind of put it on your, on your forehead. Um, and so we do that. Why? To say, this is special. This is set apart by God. This is, this is something we understand as a reference uh, to the Holy Spirit. And then this prayer of faith. You see, this expression, the prayer of faith, will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. It's supposed to be that thing which gives us most comfort, but yet it gives us so much angst. Because it sounds so unconditional. It sounds like it's going to happen. It, it sounds like oh, we pray and boom, you're going to be better. Call for the elders of the church. They'll put some oil on you and pray and you'll be, you'll be better. You get that sense, don't you? But, but we know from experience that it doesn't happen always that way. And then he said, if you committed sins, uh, they'll, be, they'll be forgiven. And you say, well, why are you connecting Sins and sickness. Well, we already know that Jesus didn't do that when he said who sinned. The question was who sinned, this man or his parents? He, he said, nobody. It's, it's not related to that. But sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. When Paul writes to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 11, when he's talking about communion, verse 30 well, verse 28, let a person examine himself. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. So while there isn't a necessary connection, oh, there's a, general connection. Sickness is the result of sin in the world or the fallenness of human beings. There can be a relationship between particular sin and sickness. And so, be mindful of that. Not paranoid of that. (laughs) You say, but I can't think of anything that would connect the two. Oh no, I'm not going to be healed. No, 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 no. He says, if, if. So be aware of that. So when you call for the elders of the church, be mindful of your sin. Confess your sin. Not necessarily to them. They're not going to ask you for a list. Have you confessed your sins? And it may be sometimes when we're ill, we're laying there and we're thinking, I must have done something wrong (laughs) for this to be happening to me. Well, no sins are forgiven through faith in Jesus. What a comfort to have that at that time. To know that, well, you might be sitting there, I'm really unworthy to call for the elders of the church for that much attention to be paid for me. I'm, look, look at my sin. I, no, 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 no. Sins are forgiven. If you sin, they're forgiven you. It frees you, you see. That's what James means. Not to make us paranoid, but to free us. Oh, yes. I can receive healing. 
Because sins are forgiven. But what about this prayer of faith? I don't know. You know, all the prayers in the New Testament, all the promises of prayers in the New Testament, most all of them are unqualified like this. You believe, Jesus said, you'll receive. Now, the times they're qualified by in his name or in my name. So we get that. Or they're qualified by, if you pray according to his will, First John chapter 5. And so we know that always praying is in submission to God. Always. Whether it's elders or you and me. Always, we're praying, your will be done. Your will be done. I don't know what should be done. But your will be done. In the midst of that's really my heart's desire. We do know that God's intention for illness is not always healing. And so we submit to that. But as the elders come to pray, God uses this means of prayer to bring healing when he wills. And thus, if there's healing, you can say, oh, God has given a gift, this prayer of faith. Now, some hold that this means that when the elders are praying, an elder or the elders will either know or not know. They'll have this, this, this sense, this conviction, this is going to be healed. And I don't think so. First, it's really subjective. We can really mess that up. Every time I pray for somebody to be healed, almost every, I'm a sinner. Almost every time. I really, really, really want them to be healed. And I can convince myself that God will do it. Because he can. And he's good and he's gracious. So I'm always thinking I'm praying the prayer of faith that will raise them up. Right? I know when they're raised up, whether it's in a minute or in a month or in a year or whenever, that (laughs) it was the prayer of faith. Because you see, those who are involved are the church, the elders, the sick person, and God. He's there. (laughs) That's what makes it all, you see. He's there. And so whatever it is, the oil, the word, the presence of the elders, we're reminded that God is present here. And God forgives our sins. So God is the one who is our father. And he's the one who said pray. And so we pray. So we call for the elders of the church in these moments. And they come in obedience to him and love to you. And anoint you with oil and pray. And then together we trust. We trust that God will have his way among us. And his way will be a good way, the good way for us. Let's pray. Father, I pray for me, for us, that we would get it, that we 